Um, hey, let me show you uh, another picture. This is my mom and dad. They just celebrated uh, on August 26th, their 72nd wedding anniversary. Yay, mom and dad. They are so awesome. I love them. I thank God for them. But on the other end of the age spectrum, did you see the article in USA Today about the eight-year-old boy who learned how to drive a car by watching YouTube videos? Serious. Uh, true story. Uh, he feels like he's got it down. So one night that he selects, when his mom and dad go to bed and after they're asleep, he gets up, sneaks into his little sister's room. She's four years old. He gets her out of bed, packs her into the family minivan. And now it's time to live what he learned. Sticks the key in the ignition, fires up the engine, drops it into reverse, backs out of the driveway. Into drive, he drives two miles to the nearest McDonald's. He goes through the drive-thru, orders two Happy Meals, and it's not, no one's any the wiser until he gets up to the window where you pay. And once the employee sees him shaking money out of his piggy bank, they realize there's no adults in the car. So they call the police. And, and then this is my favorite line in the article. Um, when confronted by police, can you imagine eight-year-old boy? Confronted by police, the boy realized he had done something wrong. And he told them through tears that he really just wanted a cheeseburger. Yeah, I love this kid because I love cheeseburgers. But I love this boy because I've been there in tears when I've done something seriously wrong and I know it, confronted with it. Haven't you? Haven't you been there? Haven't you said the wrong thing, done the wrong thing at the worst possible time? I mean, the hate and the hurt just poured out of you. And you wish you could take back the words. You wish you could undo the behavior. And now, I'm done is done. Sometimes it's not easy to live with who we are and what we've done. And we get stalked day and night by our shame, our guilt, our regret. Sometimes we are terrorized when we think about what we did wrong, how much we've did, done wrong, how long we've done wrong. We lay awake at night and we just think, could even Jesus love us? Because I've been there and I know you've been there. Because we all mess up. I'm a mess. You're a mess. The only reason we're in church is we're trying to get our messes closer to Jesus. But let me introduce you to a guy in the day of Jesus who was a mess. He is the perfect case study of someone who found themselves and felt themselves totally unworthy because of who they are and what they do. His name was Levi. Now in the day of Jesus, this name is huge. In the Old Testament, part of the Bible, Levi has rich, rich meaning and significance because the tribe of Levi, they were in charge, fully responsible for every spiritual experience and all worship activities that happened in the house of God for God's people. But this Levi, he walked away from all that. He blew off uh, the heritage of his family. He blew off the heritage of his faith. He was going to be his own guy. He wasn't going to go after religion. He was going after money and lots of it. In fact, he betrayed his own nation. He became a Roman tax collector. You see, the Roman government 
Rome had taken over Israel, imposed their own government, their own brutal army, uh, enforced the laws. And those tax collectors, the people in Israel, they had a Hebrew word for tax collectors. It meant unjust oppressor, someone who was painfully unfair because this tax collector could impose, could levy a 70% income tax. Can you imagine? So the tax collector would set up shop in your town and he would garnish 70% of your wages and then skim off the top whatever he wanted for himself. And it was all legal. This guy is much hated I believe he's come to hate himself. But the most remarkable thing, I mean, Jesus knows who Levi is. He knows what Levi does. He knows that he is the worst kind of human being. But Jesus, on a regular basis, intentionally stops by the tax booth just to hang out with Levi and it blows Levi's mind. I mean, he knows this is the Jesus who heals the sick. This is the Jesus who's attracting enormous crowds to hear him teach. This is the Jesus who works miracles and he wants to be my friend. Levi couldn't believe it. Nobody had ever listened to Levi like Jesus listened. No one had ever shown him respect and and acceptance like Jesus showed him. In fact, I mean, whenever the tax line was slim to none, Jesus would stop by just to hang out, just to build a friendship. In fact, one day Jesus finally says, Levi, you are a money-making machine, dude, on the outside. But on the inside, where it counts, you are poor, poor, poor. Why don't you walk away from this empty way of making a living and I'll show you how to make a life. Come, follow me. Man, Levi doesn't have to think twice. He looked at Jesus, I am all in. Walks away from a very lucrative tax business. In my imagination, I see Jesus and Levi walking together and Jesus slips his arm around Levi's shoulder and leans over and says, man, from now on, you are no longer Levi. From now on, your name is Matthew. That was staggering because Matthew means gift of God. Can you imagine how that felt? Going from being the number one hated guy in the region to being a gift of God? Well, to get a sense of how something like that might have felt, let me introduce you um, to someone else who is the lowest of the low, lower than the lowest of the low. This is uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, He was called the Milwaukee Monster, killed 17 people. And I will not go into graphic detail. I, I just tell you, it was the worst kind of evil you can imagine, just the worst. Now slide back with me into Matthew's story. Because if we can open up the Bible and listen to the disciples of Jesus, you know, those closest to him, they were like, Jesus, are you serious? What is wrong with you? This isn't fair. This isn't right. This isn't just. He doesn't belong with us. He doesn't deserve to be forgiven. He doesn't deserve to be one of us. So before we're too 
hard on the disciples of Jesus for being unaccepting, unforgiving, harsh, haughty, arrogant. Um, we might not want to check our feelings on Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, he was caught, convicted, uh, sentenced uh, to life in prison here in Wisconsin without possibility of parole. His first year in prison was in solitary confinement. Uh, in the mid-90s, Craig, did, were you with me when we met Roy Ratcliffe? Um, Craig is our former executive pastor, and I think Craig was with me. We met Pastor Roy Ratcliffe, who after Jeffrey Dahmer came out of solitary confinement, he met with him every single week and opened the word of God. They did Bible study together. And week after week in the word of God, Jeffrey Dahmer falls in love with the son of God. It wrecked him. All he could do was confess his sin and turn away from his sin and toward God. That's repentance. In fact, he surrendered his life to Jesus. And Pastor Roy Ratcliffe baptized Jeffrey Dahmer in prison. And still, week after week, Pastor Roy Ratcliffe would go and they would study the Bible together. And every day, every day, Jeffrey Dahmer would read God's word. Every, throughout the day, he would pray. Every weekend, he would be in worship. It sounds to many of us like our spiritual journey. It's just that we, though we sin, <laughs> never sin like he sinned. We learned all this information not just from Pastor Craig and I just had the opportunity to meet him and hear the story, but NBC Dateline, Stone Phillips interviewed Jeffrey Dahmer and he just put it all out there about how he had come to the word of God, how he had fallen in love with the son of God, how he had repented of his sins, confessed his sins, surrendered his life fully to Jesus and was baptized and read the word and prayed to God until the day he was murdered. So let's go back to our Matthew story. Here's what happens. Uh, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home. Now, do you think the disciples are over it yet? Do you think that they think this guy's a changed guy, a good guy? Do you think they have forgiven him for garnishing 70% of their wages as fishermen? Do you think they are disgusted to step over the threshold of his home? Do you think they are appalled to be under his roof, be at his table, eat his food? I mean, their money, their taxes bought that food. But here's what happened. Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guest, along with many, the place is packed with tax collectors, unjust oppressors, and other disreputable sinners. Now, disreputable sinners, that's Bible talk for prostitutes. The tax collectors brought girlfriends, dates. They had to pay them. So the place is packed with tax collectors and prostitutes. And um, let me set the table. If you'll join me in Matthew's house, Jesus uh, is at the head of the table because he's the guest of honor. 
But at his right hand, at the right hand, always at the right hand of the guest of honor would be seated the guest of honor's best friend, Matthew. How do you think Peter, James, and John felt about Matthew being in the position of best friend? But that's where Jesus sits. And and we're kind of okay with that because we know he wrote a book of the Bible. This may make you feel a little uncomfortable. But Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to offer a place at the table to whoever would surrender to him, be baptized and give their life to Jesus. Now, um, there were church people, I hesitate to say Christian, but there were church people who saw the NBC special, Dateline special, Stone Phillips, Jeffrey Dahmer, they heard the story of his conversion to Christ, his surrender to Jesus, and they had two questions. Could, no, no, not could, not could. Would Jesus really forgive a serial killer? Would there really be a place in heaven for a mass murderer? Well, to answer that question, look at the word of God. Jesus died for our sins. Mine, yours. He died for our sins and rose again. Why? To make us right with God. Everything wrong with you, when Jesus was on the cross, everything wrong with you was put on him and everything right with him was put on you. Jesus died for our sins, rose from the dead to make us right with God. What happens? Filling us with God's goodness. Anything bad about me is put on Jesus and everything good about Jesus is put on me. No one comes to the table because they're good. They come to the table because Jesus is all goodness. Because Jesus said, no one's good. Not me, not you, not Matthew, not Jeffrey Dahmer. No one. No one is good. We get to the table because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead to validate, authenticate that it's true. All sins are forgiven. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits who forgives all our sins. You know, Jesus put it very simply and plainly. Jesus said it like this, Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized, whoever believes and is baptized, whoever believes and is baptized, whoever, say whoever, whoever, whoever believes, the word believes in the Greek is pistis, it means to surrender. Whoever surrenders to Jesus and is baptized will be saved. They get a place. Jesus invites them to come to the table. Not only will he call you to the table, he'll bring you to the table by his shed blood, by his victory over the grave. Well, there are people, there were people then, and there are people now who wanna judge those who get to be at the table are those who have to be stay out. Then 
I, I mean, I know it because they send me emails and they condemn me for not condemning other kinds of people. And it's interesting, they always point out the sins of others but never admit their own. So I just delete. In the day of Jesus, those judgmental people were called Pharisees. And they crashed Matthew's party. They, they, they crashed this big event where Matthew got his new Jesus friends together with his old tax collector prostitute friends. And they just storm in and they do an angry protest. And here's what they shout at the followers of Jesus, not at Jesus, but at the followers of Jesus, they shout, why does your teacher eat with such scum? I mean, can you feel the blood rush to the face, faces of those prostitutes? They are so shamed, so embarrassed, they drop their heads. Can you imagine those tax collectors, man? They ball their hands into fists. They would love to come around the table and take on those ugly, holier-than-thous. Well, Jesus spoke into that awkward moment when conversations had stopped in mid-sentence. And what he said to the judgmental people then he says to us and those who would judge now, Jesus says, I want you to be merciful to others. God, David, God has shown you immense, immeasurable mercy. Now you be merciful to others. Central, God has shown you great mercy. Now you be merciful to others. I... Um, Back before this building existed and before we had our family life center, when all we had on this property was a chapel, there was an older couple, um, fairly well to do. They gave very generously and they came every weekend and they sat like right in the second row every weekend, right on the aisle. Um, well, that particular weekend, uh, another family came in a little late, quite a good group of people and they wanted to sit in that, it was about the only seat left. So that couple had to scoot down and they moved in. Now, we were a smaller church of around 500 on the weekend at that time. And um, I knew it if someone wasn't present. And they didn't come back, that couple. That older couple that were rather well-to-do and dressed real nice when they came to church. So I went to visit them in their home and, you know, like, what's up? And they told me that they'd been sitting right there and people came in and they had to move right down there. And that those people moved them down, those people, that family did not smell good. And so they said to me, we'll come back when they're not coming. And I said, well, I hope you find a good church home because they're coming back because they are welcome because they are wanted because at Central Christian Church, it's all people, all kinds of people, all colors of people, all cultures of people. Um, could I go back to that Jesus statement? I got a little worked up. Okay, that one, yeah, the next one. Okay, I want you to be merciful to others. Look at this. I didn't come to invite good people to follow me. I didn't come to invite good people. In fact, there are no good people. I came to invite sinners. And if that's Jesus' purpose in coming to our planet... Should that not be the purpose of our church? 
And maybe, hey, that's why we're doing right now what we're doing with our invitations to our friends, our family, our neighbors, and our coworkers, and prayer walking our neighborhoods uh, with these door hangers. And I wanna thank those of you that have already done it. If you haven't done it, uh, please grab a bunch as you leave and uh, leave these invitations and pray over the every heart and every home uh, as you leave these door hangers um, on the front door of the homes in your neighborhood. Because the Beloit campus is so much larger than our Latino uh, congregation or our inner city campus that's predominantly black, we've been helping them out by prayer walking their neighborhoods. And in fact, thank you so much, those of you that were willing to walk your neighborhood and our inner city, because it's done. Deb and I this week, um, we visited 76 residents in the inner city, residences, and um, half were predominantly Latino and half were predominantly black. And I know that I've done stuff like this before with Debbie, and I'm still a little insecure. And so um, she's driving, we pull up to the curb. She's driving because her husband <laughs> is blind. And, um, but I pray. We get out of the car and we're walking up the sidewalk and at the very first house we're gonna go to, there are two Latino men on the front porch. So I take a deep breath, say my friendliest, hey, and put on a friendly smile. And because I'm blind, it's not till I get right up in his face that I realize this is a dear friend. This is somebody I've known for years at Debbie. He hugs me, I hug him, he hugs Debbie. He introduces us to his friend that he's been talking to. He looks at the stuff in my hand and says, what are you doing? We tell him what we're doing. He takes a bunch out of my hand and says, I'm gonna give them to my friends. I mean, it was a huge moment for us and it was a great start, but everything after that got even better because when we met people, we didn't meet everyone in every home, but when people were out on the porch or in the yard or in the road um, and we would talk to them friendly-like, they would talk to us friendly-like. And there was one African-American family, an adult mom, her two adult children. And she said, are you a part of New Life? I said, yeah, we're a part of them. They're a part of us. We're one church. She said, that's the way it's supposed to be. I'll go to a church like that. And then there was this Latino family. They wanted an invitation to the Beloit campus. We promised to come back the next day because the lady said, I want to hear you preach. She was talking to Debbie, so I felt bad. Um, <laughs> No, it was awesome. It was the high point of our week. And here's the thing that made it so joy us. When you do it, as you do it, the spirit of the living God is in you and with you and for you. And he brings your, look at the word of God. Last book in the Bible, book of Revelation, last chapter in the last book of the Bible, the spirit, that's the spirit of God. And the bride, that's us, the church, the bride of Christ. The spirit and the bride say, come. Everyone who hears this must also, that's you guys, you're here. You must also say, come. Come friend, come neighbor, come family member, come coworker, come whoever. There's that word again. Whoever is thirsty, accept the water of life as a gift. Whoever, whoever, whoever wants it. Surrendering to Jesus, confessing sin, repenting of sin, being baptized gets a place at the table. Um, and so uh, there's probably um, 
Let me see, how should I say that? I don't think our church is better than any other church. But this is something, if you're newer here, that you should know about us. Um, let me show you. We are committed to joining Jesus and inviting to the table those others might exclude. Everyone. Everyone. Every kind of person, every color of person, every kind of person, everyone is welcome. Um, you know something? I know this probably made, um, kind of creates an uncomfortable feeling. But I'll tell you what makes me feel more uncomfortable, really, because I might read about that or what's the NBC Dateline special, but what makes me feel more, most uncomfortable is this, because I know me. I don't have to read a book. I don't have to watch TV. I know who I am. I know me. There's nothing good in me that gets me here. It's only saying, Jesus, I love you. I surrender to you. You're my king. I'm your servant. I give you all my life. I've screwed up enough. I've messed up enough. Lord, my life belongs to you. Because Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose from the dead. He offers me a place at the table. And the good news for you Jesus has a place at the table for you. And maybe you want to protest. No, wait a minute, David. Don't put me up there. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how often I did it. You don't know how long I did it. Here's what I know, friends. I know the truth from God's word that says this. Where sin increased in me and in you, where sin increased, grace abounded more and more. Now in Greek, it's only one word, abounded. It's super abounded. Our God's grace is greater than all our combined sins. We get to the table because of his grace. Now we've been talking about justice. So here's the justice of God. Somebody has got to pay the penalty for my sin. And Jesus did on the cross. Somebody has got to be punished for your sin. And Jesus was on the cross. Somebody's got to bear the consequences of our sin. And Jesus did on the cross. And so when Jesus, three days later, is raised from the dead, he has the authority to invite you to a place at the table. And he doesn't just invite you, he calls you, he brings you, he personally ushers you to the table. And when you get to your place setting, do you know what you find? You find the compassion of God for you and all your struggles. You, you find the everlasting kindness of God. He'll never stop being kind to you. You find the unfailing love of God. His love will never let you down. You find the immeasurable mercy of God, the superabounding grace of God. So I want to invite you to surrender fully to Jesus and come to the table. Come to him. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.